Welcome all you weirdos, Krokoans, and everyone surprised that Legion of X is cancelled. This is your weekly Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of the Weird Science Podcast family. I'm Jason, and speaking with me via a time warp from before the Sins of Sinister event began is our pal Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? Hey, hey. You're hurting me with that, but that's that's pretty good. <laughs> who, who knew? I had no idea, and I, I'm still not entirely convinced it's canceled. I'm like 99% sure it's canceled, or, or is anything canceled these days? Apparently, it was a maxi series. They just didn't tell us. Yes. Well, the thing with, with Sai is he'll, he'll get another story because he always gets stories, and the story will continue, even though nobody except for me wants to read it. It'll just have a different title. Maybe. We'll, we'll get into the details on that coming up. But today, we will be talking about Legion of X, number 10, the final issue of that series, and X-Force, number 37, which is, I think, must be still the highest number in the X line, and is still going, well, it's, I'm going to say going strong, but it's still going, that's for sure. Uh, and, and, you know, today, well, previous weeks, we had discussed two possible candidates for that missing heart version, Mr. Sinister, the man with the peacock tattoo and Mother Righteous. And this week, both of them took their masks off for us. So that's exciting. But first, some news. Uh, some pretty big X news broke last week. It was either right as we were recording or immediately after we stopped recording Weird Dose number 32. So not the best possible timing. Uh, so the fan vote for the final member of the next X-Man team to be announced at the next Hellfire Gal in June was announced, opened, and closed in between recordings. So I hope everyone who wanted to vote got to vote. Uh, the candidates are, or rather were, Jubilee, Juggernaut, Prodigy, Cannonball, Dazzler, and Frenzy. Any uh, any favorites there, Ruben? Anyone you're, you're rooting for? No, one, no, I actually looked at that list and I was like, I don't really like any of these characters. I voted for Prodigy because I don't know anything about that character, and I don't need Dazzler ever, so I would never vote for her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Juggernaut's not a mutant, so I feel like that's kind of stupid to put him on the team. Jubilee is played out. I mean, I have a feeling it'll be Juggernaut or Jubilee. Cannonball, we got a decent amount of in New Mutants early on, so maybe he's had. I, I think I would have. I didn't actually vote, uh, but I, I probably would have voted for Juggernaut. He's kind of fun. I don't mind that he's not a mutant. <laughs> mutant adjacent. Well, that will be announced in June at the next Hellfire Gala. Our next news item is, is big picture. Now, this is like Krakoa era big picture. So to recap, first we got Hotspox, and that was exciting. Then we got Dawn of X, which ran for about a year, ended with the X of Tens event, and then we entered Reign of X. Reign of X also lasted more or less a year, concluded with the Inferno and X Live, X Deaths of Wolverine events, and then we entered Destiny of X, and that's the period we're still in, right? But, okay, here's where the actual news part of this news item starts. Uh, the Destiny of X era will be ending this summer, 2023, to be followed by an era that Marvel is calling the Fall of X. Now, exactly how big a fall this is, still up in the air. Uh, is it the end of the whole Krokoa era, as some people are really hoping it'll be, and others of us are not hoping it'll be? Uh, is everyone heading back to the mansion upstate New York again? Who knows? Could be anything. Uh, so are, are you excited about the fall of X? I don't like the idea of a reset. So if this is a reset, I'm going to be really disappointed. But if it's just a continuation of a story, right, or the next... Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be wiping everything away, but this the, the big picture story does need to to click forward again. I think having Rain and Destiny kind of as I, I thought we'd just go right from Dawn to Rain to Fall. I think extending it with Destiny kind of stretched out the middle part a bit, and I think we're due for some some big events. 
I will say some of the the I guess the four one shots they're going to do leading into it. I looked at those pictures and yes. the, I guess the covers those those excited me. Just in case, I, it's been announced. You know, anyone following X Up Online knows this, but there are going to be four one shots under that collected header before the fall, kind of taking us transitioning from destiny into fall, I guess. And I'm going to list the names of these one shots, but even the names are a little spoily. So anybody who doesn't want to know anything. Maybe maybe Jim will bleep out what uh, Ruben just let slip. That'll be fun. Uh, anyone who doesn't want to be spoiled at all, feel free to skip ahead, you know, a minute or two, and you'll be fine. Okay. So these four one shots are in May, Sons of X from Cy Spurrier and Phil Noto, and we'll be talking about that one again a little later in the podcast. In June, Heralds of Apocalypse. Oh, that's that's the spoilery one from Al Ewing and Luca Pizzari. Also in June, Mutant First Strike by Steve Orlando and Valentina Pinti. And finally in July, The Sinister Four by our man Kieran Gillen and Paco Medina. So yes, those are those four one-shots. I don't know if there's going to be a big event taking us from one era into fall. I don't know what triggers. Oh, now we're in fall. Maybe it'll be in those one-shots, or, or maybe there's something that Marvel hasn't quite announced yet. I mean, three out of those four sound exciting. And I'll I'll let the listeners guess which one we're not excited about. <laughs> well, they know what books we cover and what books we don't cover. So I mean, we're going to cover the one we don't like. But it's going to be weird to not cover yeah, that one. We'll certainly cover all those one shots. Okay. Uh, one more bit of news: we have what I'm sure must be the final update on the Dark Web storyline. I know you're all at the end of your seat for this one. So Madeline Pryor back in charge of Limbo and will suffer zero consequences for <laughs> loosing literal demons all over New York City, eating babies, dogs, people, wreaking havoc. Doesn't matter. Uh, she and Jean are, are pals now. They're family. Uh, so all is fine. Also, Limbo now has its own embassy in New York City in the form of a ridiculous, ridiculous cartoonish red skyscraper, which seems to be inspired by the X-Men treehouse, just dumber. <laughs> So there's dark web for you. There's a you limbo pay embassy ridiculous now. Ridiculous insurance premiums to to have any sort of property in New York in the MCU or the Marvel universe. That's the hard hitting insight that people come to this podcast for. The <laughs> insurance fee that you've got to pay for your limbo <laughs> skyscraper in New York City. Or they just don't cover anything. <laughs> what what is limbo's deductible policy? Who knows? Yes. Uh, coinsurance. Okay, so that's the news, such as it is. Uh, onward into this week's books, the first of which is Legion of X, number 10, the final issue, titled Among Us, Stalk the Sentinels, which is the same title as X-Men Volume 1, number 14, the very first Sentinel story, which I think had a lot more Sentinels in it than this one did, but we'll get to that. Written by uh, Cy Spurrier, pencils by Netho Diaz, inks by Sean Parsons and Alvaro Lopez, colors by Hava Tartaglia and Ruth Redmond. Letters by Clayton Cowell, the design, Tom Muller, with Jay Bowen. So yeah, this does seem to be the final issue of the series, and Marvel's doing the same kind of thing they did with Way of X, which was the precursor's size per year book. That book went five issues and had its story brought to conclusion in that one-shot called The Onslaught Revelation. Legion of X went twice as long, ending with number 10, and this book doesn't really conclude anything story-wise. These plot threads presumably are going to be tied up in that Sons of X before the fall one-shot, which is March, April, May, three months from now. So at least the Onslaught Revelation came right after Way of X, as I recall. This one has a bit of a, a delay built in. I mean, we're sort of tied up by the uh, Sinister story, so 
not totally shocking. Parts of it are, parts of it, yeah. People, I think, are going to be like, what the heck? Especially, you can imagine some people are just going to read those four books as like a precursor to fall, and then they're going to be like, this has nothing to do with anything. But Marvel does get to put a number one on all four of them, which they love, love, love to do. Yeah. It's not a four-issue miniseries. It's four number one. Okay. In this book, uh, we have two, two strains going on. We have things going on. Actually, three strains. We have stuff going on in the astral plane. We have stuff going on in the physical plane on Perkoa, and then we have some weird happenings going on in Germany. So we're going to start off with the astral plane. Why not? We pick off, we pick up right where we left off with Professor X just having put some kind of a whammy on his son Legion, which sure was unfortunate timing because they could really use him right about now, what with the island being under attack by the Technarchy and also Nimrod. So Legion will be helpful. Xavier gets really defensive with Blindfold and then walks out. He has other stuff to do. He says that he has to defend his people. He can't be here to help his son, even though he sees that part of the technarchy is coming right for Legion, being all here. Not quite unconscious, but, you know, severely, severely weakened. <clears throat> we then get a data page to explain what the heck Chuck just did here in the form of a journal excerpt. I'm going to cough now, so hang on one second. We then get a data page for the purpose of explaining what Chuck just did here in the form of a journal excerpt. It was called something called the Daedalus Contingency. And we did hear that word before this series back in Legion number eight. That was after that psychic uh, dream chat with Blindfold. Charles went down to his computer and called up codename Daedalus. So here it is. <clears throat> here we get a lot of techno babble boiling down to it's, it's Shi'ar mind stuff. And it's painless, not intended to hurt David. But mostly it's just rationalization from Charles as to why he feels a need to just attack his own son like this. What we don't get, and what I really wonder about is, how long is this effect supposed to last? Was this a temporary measure meant to weaken David at a particular moment when Chuck, you know, thought he was going to get attacked? Or was this meant to eliminate David's threat long term or forever? Do you have any, any feeling on that? Yeah, none. My guess is, given that he is being sort of the asshole Xavier in the scene, it was probably a permanent solution. But, uh. Permanent? I mean, was, was David going to be just, you know, practically immobile and just drooling on himself forever? Yes. I, I mean, know. he's done that before, right? He put him in hospital and drugged him up. That that used to be his way of taking care of Legion. And then every now and then he would snap a story with Legion wrecking hell until they put him back into, like, unconsciousness. Yeah, and I know that Xavier's... We're supposed to be not really sympathetic to Xavier here, although we say, yeah, he has some reasons, but we know we're not supposed to be on his side. And yet the version of Xavier in this book just seems a lot dumber than the versions we get in other books. You know? Yes, he's short-sighted in all the books, but but here I, I think he really, maybe we're supposed to go longer, maybe we're supposed to get a little more detail to it, but he just seems, he doesn't seem a, the smart guy that we know him to be. So, uh, we get back to the astral plane after that data page, and Charles had just, it's like that Abe Simpson meme where he walks in, takes his hat off, puts his hat back on, and goes back out, just in reverse, because Charles left, and Suddenly changed his mind, came right back to help his son, and Legion, for his part, allows his father access to his mind, and Charles learns, once again, the exact same lesson that we thought he learned at the end of the last issue, right? That his son is so much more than he's ever given credit for, built this great thing, always, you know, striving for self-control. It's nice, but it's it's so repetitive. It's the same exact lesson. Yeah, but so now, now he's crying. Now he's crying, Okay. <laughs> So Charles and Legion now kind of join together, use Legion's power to drive the astral attack away with no problem at all. It's just a technarchy, no big deal. 
And David repeats his size sprayer catchphrase, I rule me. Oh, well. So, meanwhile, out on the physical plane, Juggernaut, Lost, whose name is also Marionette, and Banshee are trying to fight off the Technarchy drones. Uh, Lost finds what looks like a single Apple AirPod, and she kind of sort of remembers something about it. It is, of course, that techno-gizmo that allows people to remember Forget-Me-Not, a.k.a. Zabby. Uh, last issue, we saw Juggernaut drop one of these, and that's probably this one. So I don't know if you'd want Juggernaut's earwax in your ear, but <laughs> she sticks it on in there and remembers having gone on a date with Zabby, where he said a bunch of nice but kind of corny stuff to her. Yes. Uh, and I'm not sure how, but Marinette is now able to speak with Zabby, who we left injured inside Kurt's house. She's not psychic. Is the airpiece airpiece also a comm system? I didn't really follow this. Do you follow? Yeah, I, I think it is. They were briefly able to communicate with him via comm. Okay, that's that's fine. It's an all-in-one. I'm good enough with that. Although you you think that if it's so important, there'd be more of a you know a security not fall off your ear system if it's you know that important of a thing. I liked oh, well. this. I, I liked this part, and then I started thinking about it and liked it less. And <laughs> The biggest, the biggest problem for me with where this is going and just this in general is I get that you can't remember him, mm -hmm. but does his power extend to not remembering this earpiece? <laughs> I don't know. I, I lose my earphones all the time, so. Yeah, you do, but like, it, I don't know. Do you forget about it, like, totally? You're like, oh, my cell phone's missing, right? Like, you still remember that you have a cell phone. So, I'd remember it if I saw it again. Oh, oh, there it is. It's in my couch cushions again. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I just... I mean, the spoiler on this is it falls out at the end and he's dead and nobody remembers him and, and that's tragic. And that is tragic to me because, like, everybody gets resurrected except this poor sucker, apparently. Yeah, which he, is he actually, we are jumping ahead, but that Seisberg actually found a way to make a mutant dying on Krakoa actually feel like a loss, yep. which is something we really haven't felt in a while where people just get killed off and brought back without any, any hassle or fuss. <clears throat> So anyway, he's able to talk to uh, Forget-Me-Not, and he's able to tell her that, hey, it's, uh, this whole attack from the Technarchy is really just a distraction uh, to give Warlock, who's been hacked by uh, Nimrod, time to take over the whole island. Yep. By the way, hey, there's some Sentinels in here. <laughs> so now they know they need to get inside as fast as possible. Banshee is now bonded with the Spirit of Vengeance, or should be Spirit of Variance, but remains enough of the old Spirit of Vengeance know-how to turn Juggernaut into his, like, hell cycle equivalent? Yes. Which All is right. a and cool this, enough looking splash. Okay, go, go I think it's very. Think I think it's very cool. I One of the Marvel tropes that always gets me is, you know, some unexpected thing being turned into a Ghost Rider cycle. Okay. And I like always love it. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, the best part of Empire was the Quinjet becoming a Ghost Rider. Right, Quinjet. right. Yeah, so I wasn't expecting, I didn't know you could do this with people, but I was like, all right, this just looks cool. Like, give me a juggernaut that's all, you know, fired out. Yeah, and it's, you it's cool him. enough. It, I don't think we ever need to see this again, but for a one-off. No, a one no this is not like a... Kind of a, a... He's already a weird spirit of vengeance to begin with, so yeah. I don't think we need to, you know, extrapolate this out to all the Hellriders. Yeah. It's fine. But it's cool looking, and yeah, suddenly he's more powerful and he can break into the, the tree. Yep, yeah, so with those powers combined, Banshee and Juggernaut are able to Kool-Aid man their way right into Kurt's house. <laughs> uh, Kurt's not getting a security deposit back, and they make short work of these semi-organic Rakoan Sentinels within. Again, these these Sentinels, to be in the title, kind of go out pretty quick. Yeah. 
Now, while this is going on, Warlock is still completely unwillingly in the process of taking over the island for Nimrod. Warlock tells Doug that the only way to prevent this catastrophe is for someone to break this very convenient crystal core glowing in his chest. You know, it's like you're playing a video game and the, the, the boss has a big one glowing pixel. And, and you know that's what you got to aim for. Yeah, you got to hit that. Very, very convenient. <laughs> <clears throat> only trouble, of course, is doesn't just purge the Nimrod code. It'll purge Warlock's code as well, meaning his entire kind of personality and existence. Doug hesitates to do this and gets a sentinel backhand for his trouble, but forget-me-not doesn't. He calls out, remember me, to Marinette, and heroically climbs up to break the crystal core. But the resulting explosion, maybe blast from the sentinels, I can't tell. Either way, as a combined matter, kills uh, forget-me-not. He's dead. Like you said, not typically a big problem here at McCohen Error. They just have the five cook another one up, but the rumbling of the explosion also knocks the earpiece off of Marinette. And yeah, we're left to question whether anyone will remember his existence long enough to say, hey, maybe we should resurrect him. <clears throat> Which, yes. again, I thought was kind of cool. It's it's very cool and emotional. Again, I just still wonder, like, she doesn't remember that she had the earpiece. I would remember that. Maybe she can't find it, right? Like, I guess I needed maybe to see it get stepped on or something. Because I don't understand, like, why she wouldn't just look for it and put it back. You know, his crazy sort of Dada-ish power is not very well explained. So I guess it can be whatever the writer wants it to be. Plus, when you're, I, I don't know, I would assume, like, there's a cleanup crew, right? There's this big fight and people are going to be like, there was Nimrod on the island. What the hell, right? Like, there'd be some kind of forensics thing and then you'd Somebody be like... Somebody left a post-it note, there's a, you know... <laughs> With a picture of mind. Well, there's like there'd be like a skeleton or something, right? Like, well, we see his skull at the end. Yeah, so so you're like in theory, the cleanup crew is gonna be like, well, whose body is this? Wouldn't they? Maybe things biodegrade more quickly on Krakoa. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't exactly work for me, other than as an emotional hook, and it's a very effective emotional hook. I did, you know, I'm very critical of this scene, but at the same time, I was like, oh, that's that's big, and that. Makes me sad a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about as far as I got to. Okay, so <laughs> after this tragic, tragic death of the character we kind of barely knew, uh, yes. we get another data page. This one on Orcus letterhead, which is kind of neat, representing communication between a little bit of like a mini Nimrod that was attacking Krakoa, uh, reporting back to Nimrod Prime, the main parent portion that presumably was, you know, back somewhere safe. And the takeaway here is that, yes, the attack did not really succeed in the main goal, of seizing the entire island, but it did manage two minor but significant victories. Yeah. It brought home the, quote, screaming mind of an aberrant AI, this would be Warlock, and two, through Warlock, the mini Nimrod was able to, quote, hack their gates, which is, I hate that phrase, it just seems so juvenile. I don't think Nimrod would say, oh, I hacked their gates. It is a, a pretty big deal, although Lord knows the Krakoan gates have been hacked and subverted every other issue since, you know, Hoxpox, so. Yeah. Who knows exactly how big it is. Again, it depends on how big the writers decide they want it. It's going to be the crux of Fall of X. They'll it, be trying it, to escape and then just like faceplant into the gates and not this be able to use This could turn them. out to be one of those key collector's issues that everyone want to have, you know, graded in slab because this is the turning point when, you know, Krakoa was fated to fall. Who knows? Probably not, but maybe. Okay, second strand. Uh, we're off, or third strand rather. Uh, Bavaria. When we left off in Bavaria, an increasingly monstrous Kurt had just instinctively attacked the Black Knight, Jackie Chopra version, in defense of his adoptive mother, Margali Zardos. Now, Margali, they determined, was responsible for casting the spell that is turning Kurt, an angel, and all those other 
you know, kind of minor character we saw last issue into Monster. And why did she cast this spell? Well, she was hired to do so by Orcus, who are now here to do bad things to our hero. Kurt quickly takes out the Orcus goons with some nice bamfing and is having trouble turning off his punching response. Margali says some nice things about how human Kurt is and some mean things about his Catholic faith and then pulls a magic sword out of Kurt's chest. It's kind of like a soul sword, but instead it's called a hope sword, which super reminiscent of how Banshee is not a spirit of vengeance, but something slightly different with a new name called the Spirit of Variance, very Steve Orlando thing. Uh, and so Margali takes this sword, scrams through a magical portal, leaving Kurt crumpled on the floor with green smoke coming out of where his hope used to be. <clears throat> so now immediately Mother Righteous shows up, monologues briefly, and very conveniently takes off her mask to show us that she is the heart-suited version of Mr. Sinister. Yeah, she also mentions that there'll be more Orcus people showing up, which then I guess explains that he'd be captured by Orcus, in theory. And then I wonder how, how did he get from that position to being under the control of uh, Sinister. Maybe maybe Sinister, I guess, when he kills Xavier Orcus, then he gets him back or something? Well, we don't know what the timeline is. I mean, so presumably we're assuming that Sins of Sinister is going to be reset at some point, right? But we don't know if this issue takes place before the reset, after the reset. Has Sins of Sinister happened and unhappened already, or is Sins of Sinister going to happen after this? I think it's after. Maybe? My theory I don't is, know. My theory is Orcus shows up and captures him, because he's still knocked out. And then um, when Sinister kills Nimrod and others, that's when he would get possession of Nightcrawler. Oh, that's that's a good guess. We'll see if that happens. So yeah, we have a, a lot of a lot of questions left by this this final issue, right? Will Will Legion recover? How soon was this? A, is the temporary Daedalus thing that his dad did to him? Now is Mother Righteous offering Kurt the same kind of deal she offered Legion early on, and then that Banshee accepted? Uh, will Kurt take this deal? Will it will it cure his monster problem? That's another possibility. Uh, what will Nimrod do now that knows how to hack the gates? Will they get Warlock back? Uh, how will Doug and Krakoa just fare without Warlock around? Yes. What the hell is a Hope Sword? <laughs> what, yeah, what the hell is up with that? Why do we care? Why does this version of Mr. Sinister look so different from the other three? Right? Two of, two of the other four are basically identical. Yeah. And the third one looks essentially the same, just older. And this one looks, uh, yeah, not not like those. Let's <laughs> just yes. say. So, what's what's her deal? What's her story? Now, I don't know exactly when we're going to get any of these answers. Maybe it'll go into Sins of Sinister. Maybe some of it will come out. Maybe it'll come out in that X Men Before the Fall, Sons of X number one. Who knows? So overall, this this whole book feels to me like a lot of elements that didn't really gel. Xavier, like I said, seems kind of dumb and simple. The whole technarchy Nimrod attack felt underbaked. Why would this technarchy, who's this huge, you know, galactic consciousness, be so easily manipulated and so easily scared away? Right? Oh, they were just they were just a tool. They were used by Nimrod. They were scared away by Charles and Legion. Uh, my favorite part was the forget me not character, you know, dying heroically in, in kind of an interesting way. Uh, overall, the art, you know, you're going to talk about the art. It, it mostly did. You know, it, it got the story told. I didn't really get a great idea what was going on in that battle scene with the Technarch, right? It should it should have been like this whole big, oh, there's a whole swarm of these crazy far future high-tech things. But really, we just saw Banshee and Juggernaut punch a few things out of the air real close. And I wanted to understand more about what's actually going on here. And I, I didn't really get that. Uh, 
the uh, increasingly monstrous Nightcrawler looked really cool in the art as he keeps, you know, trying to deal with this more animal monster side of his nature. But this whole book, this whole series kind of felt like an ex-reader could probably skip it and not miss all that much, unfortunately, right? Is anything happening here that's vital to the bigger picture other than maybe this whole, you know, practically last page reveal of Mr. Sinister being Mother What's-Her-Name, Mother Righteous? Uh, yeah, I, I think this, this series feels like a step down from Way of X, which I liked a lot more. So, and just putting the finale in a one-shot is just slightly annoying, right? If this is a series, it should come to a conclusion in the series and not make us buy what I'm sure will be an overpriced one-shot. So overall, I got to give this 7 out of 10. What do you say? Yeah, I think overall it's a 7 out of 10 series. I enjoyed it, and I think your mileage is really going to depend on how much you care about the Legion story that Sai's been telling since um, X-Men Legacy. In my mind, this is all just a continuation of that. And, you know, for somebody like myself who is really invested in the Charles Legion relationship, seeing that their main theory be finally some progress and that he finally is going to have a better relationship with his son. Does it feel like progress or is it one of those comic book storylines that always gets reset to the status quo you know it's the are they ever allowed to actually move forward that's the question yeah i'm gonna hope that this is progress but i you know maybe somebody else picks up a legion story and suddenly charles doesn't trust legion and doesn't see that he has value and thinks that he's too dangerous (laughs) and that'll make me sad but um yeah let's let's hope we actually get some some forward progress that that sticks around that it doesn't go back to oh yeah they just they don't understand each other they don't get along we'd like to I'm see forever, some i'm forever an optimist so i'm gonna assume that the, we had some progress here and yeah i don't know i i my sense of this whole series is maybe it was just a little too um trying to be clever and then when when we i guess looked to side to like tell us like okay show us how cool this Technarch is, and then they're just a glowy monster that is unstoppable until they're not. It falls short, right? Yeah, they were, they're set up to be this huge, huge thing, and then you're just kind of, they're, they're kind of punks. And that was a lot of a lot of characters I felt like they were, even Mother Righteous, right? Like, what the hell is she doing? All, all we've seen is she looks kind of cool to me, and, you know, gives you these gifts. Where does she get the power to give you these gifts? And then when... At some point, she asks you to thank her. Like, what the hell is that all about? Why do we care, right? It's been teased a long time, and it hasn't been teased in a way that makes us stay curious about it. Yeah. It's just been, we're not going to tell you yet. And then she randomly made, you know, the the Banshee Ghost Rider combo, which looks cool. But again, like, is it cool? Well, like, was one character thing in here where we're told, or she tells us, that she doesn't like people sharing their power. So she was annoyed at Legion sharing power with Charles, and she was annoyed at the whole juggernaut uh, as a steed kind of a thing, too. So that seemed to come out of nowhere. I don't think we've seen that in her character before, unless I'm forgetting it. Not that I not that I can recall. So I guess my, my sense is maybe there just wasn't enough depth to these characters. We have these like really complicated power sets and, you know, hand-waving to, to make this seem like a deep story but in reality it was kind of just like this happens and this happens and that happens in a previous issue i I remember saying something about how there's a lot of interesting moving pieces here and i hope they all get brought together in a satisfying way and they they kind of work i don't even know about margali right like is this a continuing story like she has the sword and then she leaves okay is she like a big threat now to the x-men i don't even know what she got right like there's just stuff like that just very shallow 
in my point of view. Not not super satisfying. Always always hoping getting us strung along to say, well, maybe next time we'll get what we've been waiting for. Uh, speaking of things we've been waiting for, it is time to talk about X Force number thirty-seven, titled Unmasked, written by Ben Percy, art by Robert Gill, colors by Guru FX, letters by Joe Caramagna, designed by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. <clears throat> so last time we saw that Domino start to ask questions about why she was brought back with some memories missing from you know, way back when, and we saw that Beast had planted what was supposed to be a Trojan egg with Zeno. But don't worry. There's absolutely no way that Xena will be able to make use of that magical crone egg, not without a telepath of remarkable genius, at least. And where would they get one of those? <clears throat> so this time, the cover asks the question, who is the man with a peacock tattoo? And unusually for a comic book, the book actually answers the question on the cover, which is nice. Uh, now, the answer is nobody I've ever heard of, but when we get there, maybe Ruben can, can help convince me to care a little more than I currently do. I can tell you who it is, but I cannot... I cannot promise to convince you to care because I certainly don't. Oh, oh dear. That's, <laughs> there's a forward vote for you. Now, this is the second consecutive issue of X-Force with no Wolverine, which presumably makes this contemporaneous with oh, the Wolverine book itself, where Wolverine is being used to go on secret missions for Beast and is being held captive in a special saber-tooth-tainted part of the pit. So no Wolverine here. Uh, this book has, has two strands in it. X-Force preparing for and then going on a mission to follow that Trojan egg. And the second strand is the man with a peacock tattoo, who I'm going to call Tattoo Man, because otherwise I'm going to start calling him, like, Cocktat, and that's that'd be bad. Uh, so he's telling a story to that young telepath, a remarkable genius, who is helping. So we're going to start with X-Force. It's the name of the book, after all. Now, for the third issue in a row, we start the book off with Deadpool being Deadpool. And for the third issue in a row, it's it's actually pretty funny. Uh, my favorite bit here is where he tries to come with a, a gesture. I think the kids would call it an emote for X-Force to use in the field. Yeah. And uh, Domino calls him out for trying to steal the Wakanda Forever salute. And that made me laugh. I don't even know if the Wakanda Forever salute is a thing in the comics as opposed to the movies, but doesn't matter. It's Deadpool. It made me laugh. Funny in yeah. small doses. Yeah, no, his his Deadpool is good. I, I did chuckle at that as well. Also liked when he tried to give Omega Red an X-Tramp stamp by slashing him with a sword. Yeah, Fun stuff. and then just tossed. And then there's another bit I'm not sure I understood. Omega Red is just staring at the wall, presumably for like a disturbingly long time, just staring. And later on, Deadpool asks him, you know, what are you seeing when you're staring like that? Omega Red whispers something to Deadpool. We don't get to hear what he says, but Deadpool is horrified. And the yes. horrified Deadpool, it's got to be pretty gross, which I yes. get it. That's the joke. But yes. what do you think is going on here? I don't know. He's some sort of like psycho, right? And we've already seen that Sage is into that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't gone back to that relationship in a while, have we? Good point. I forgot all about it. So, yeah. Apparently. I guess he's just playing like Rorschach test with a Krakoan wood grain. Yeah. Which I remember like staring at that when I was a kid and, you know, my parents had wood grain paneling in our, our uh, family room. So maybe that's it. And of course, the things that Omega Red would see in a Rorschach test. We don't want to actually think about. Okay, so after the Deadpool shenanigans, we get our first actual plot point of the book, which is that Trojan Egg no longer reporting its location back to Beast. So that's a problem because they can't track it. And also it suggests that maybe Zeno's able to do things to the egg that they're not supposed to be able to do to the egg. So that's a problem. Yeah. I want to go on record and say this whole 
plot point to me is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Because it's unexplained. Like, it's unfertilized, but then we don't want to think about how these eggs get fertilized. Zeno knows nothing about these stupid eggs. You could send them, like, a piece of cardboard, right? And be like, oh, yeah, this is the egg we use, right? Put it up on for auction. does not have to be the real thing. It does not have to be something that you can, oh, suddenly accidentally activate, right? And we know that that beast as an egotist and he thinks that nothing he he does could possibly go wrong so i see how that's a continuing of that idea but yeah it's it's, it's an unnecessary risk and we don't think beast would take an unnecessary risk yeah it's like the caa trying to like frame somebody for trying to buy nuclear secrets right and then their dummy drop is like an actual nuclear weapon that's They'll like missing never be the able key. to enrich this plutonium oh, <laughs> exactly it's plutonium. like you would not you'd not send the real thing so it just makes me angry that a character like Hank McCoy who's supposed to be smart would just do that. I, I needed a better thing, like the mutant you had had the power to turn it into the real thing, right? Somehow somehow they captured egg or something. We haven't seen yeah, egg at all other yeah. than just, you know, a, a gimmick. Make, but make, 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 make fun I'm going to make a plane. We can move forward. <laughs> Moving onward. Okay. <laughs> oh, Domino has an idea. She thinks that maybe if she had her memories back, the memories of her time as a captive of Zeno, maybe those memories would be able to help her remember something that would let them figure out where Zeno's going. Why not? Worth a shot. And so Domino has those memories put back. And the method they use is, again, kind of kind of strange. They don't use the five. They don't use psychics like Gene or Hope giving back the memories. Uh, we're told that Cerebro maintains archives of all backed up memories, including the bits that the mutant doesn't want anymore. So it makes sense that Cerebro still has them. I don't know why they can't just have Cerebro sort through them directly. I don't know why they need to put them back in Domino. I don't know why Domino thinks it would be so traumatic for Gene or Hope to give these memories back, because Gene and Hope have put some traumatic memories back in presumably thousands of mutants. I mean, <laughs> bad things have happened to a lot of mutants. I don't know if you read a lot of these books, Ruben, but some bad <laughs> stuff has happened. The mutants yeah. have died, and then if Gene and Hope experience those memories, they've done this before. <clears throat> yeah. I don't get it. But uh, Domino wants direct injection, and that's what she gets. Her Cohen Vine hooked directly to the base of her skull. And now we get a couple kind of cool-looking collage pages showing those memories going back. Uh, the first page shows Domino being kind of captured and then tortured by the tattoo man, and then shows her fighting an army of Xeno-Domino agents, then shows her telling Colossus that she wants to be brought back with all her memories. And now I say, hey, Cerebro shouldn't know about that. <laughs> She was not backed up in the final seconds right before she died. This should be one of those lost bits of memory that played such a part back in Way of X when we cared about that. Yeah. That became that whole onslaught. Yep. Because she was not being backed up here. So Cerebro should not have that. <clears throat> I don't know who is. There's a way to no prize this, but it seems it seems impossible. And so, this anyway. not even useful for much, right? Well, we do know there's a, a plot happening where Domino is learning about how, I guess, Colossus betrayed her or specifically did what she didn't want done, right? So it wasn't clear at the time, but it's becoming clear that we're supposed to think that she told Colossus, and we did see this, she wanted to keep all her traumatic memories, and then she came back without those traumatic memories. So now we're being led to believe that Colossus made the decision for her, oh, she'd be better off without them. So I'm just going to say, leave those out. So there's going to be some sort of, you know, confrontation between the two of them, one with them. So that's the first page the memory's going back. On the second page, Domino recalls a conversation between Tattoo Man and Mikhail Rasputin while she was being flayed alive on an operating table. 
And in this conversation, Tattoo Man conveniently mentions to Mikhail that he has a bigger lab on Genosha. Ooh, there's a word. Now, this all seems very convenient, but hey, it's Domino, so we get to write off any things that just seem too convenient as well. That's her mutant power. They mean things happen around her. So now our mutant team knows where to go. Us. Okay. Why is Mikhail's face all scarred up in those flashbacks? I don't remember him getting injured that way. Uh, that's a good question. I do not know. I noticed that too. I thought, oh, maybe he always looks like that. But, yeah, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, he does. Look right. like he's had a, a rough time. He has some, some fleshy bits showing on his face. Good question. Anybody who can remind us why he looks beat up at this particular moment in X, X-Force history, do let us know. Okay, so now our team knows in general terms where to go. Domino, Deadpool, and Omega Red, who's like the field team, minus Wolverine, who's off in a taint somewhere, uh, they pile into the Bluebird, which is a combination submarine slash airship. And the Bluebird has only appeared in one other issue. Any guesses? Mm-mm. No, it was issue number 26 of this very volume, okay. which was the same issue where those surfing Xenogoons kidnapped Max the Psychic Baby, who was now the psychic being used by Tattoo Man. So... That was kind of an interesting little connection. Or maybe they just said, hey, we don't use the Bluebird much. Let's use it again. Uh, while they're en route, Sage pinpoints the location within Genosha to a spot that's using way more electricity than a cluster of broken down shacks ever need. She talks about the electrical grid, and I'm kind of surprised that there is an electrical grid on Genosha. Isn't it like an abandoned place full of corpses and there used to be some zombies there for a while. I mean, that island has been wrecked so many times. I don't think there'd be much of an infrastructure in place. Yeah. So the bluebird swims slash flies to the location and is immediately attacked by a quintet of what looked like the Titans from the manga or anime Attack on Titan, a.k.a. Shingeki no Kyojin, for those who speak Japanese. Uh, and I don't know if you know those Titans, but if you look up Titans from Attack on Titan, they look just like this, except they look much better in Attack on Titan. Uh, and that's that's where we leave this part of the story for today. They're they're close, but they haven't actually come face to face with the man with the peacock tattoo yet. Now, over in the other part of the story, Tattoo Man is telling Max the Psychic Boy, who's been aged up for Max the Psychic Baby, all about his own backstory. We do get full, complete confirmation that this, yes, is the baby kidnapped in issue number 26, and that some growth serum was used to age him up. And at first, Tattoo Man tries to BS the kid about his backstory, but you can't BS Max the Psychic Boy, so he ends up telling what we've got to presume is the truth. And that truth is that he, the man with the peacock tattoo, is a clone of the gene engineer. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) I laughed so hard when I saw that. Yeah, no, I laughed so hard because I was like, Jason is not going to know who the hell this is. I don't think anybody is. And the way that it's set up is like a page turn. It's like, holy shit, it's it the is, and apparently right. my sound but, effect just set off by Google speaker, so sorry about that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but I was like, this is so hilarious, because like, it's such a deep cut. It's This character has not been around for like 40 years, and he was not a big deal, even Your when he mission, was around. Ruben, is to tell us all who the gene engineer is, and yeah. why we should care. So, yeah. over to you. Okay, this is, this will be tough. I, I would do the first part of that, and then... I'll let you fill in the blanks on the second, but uh, or use your imagination. So, G Engineer is this guy named David uh, Moreau, and he was just a human and a human scientist, basically. And so, Genosha, way way back in the day, was like this. It was introduced as like this idyllic society that had in in publishing history. Like when was this taking place? uh, It's like 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 eighties or nineties. Okay, that far back. 
Yeah, and this was like in all of the X Men comics. Um, so Genosha was like you know high. I guess it's sort of like you think of like the the Emirates, right? Like lots of money, wealth society, but you know built on the back of pseudo slavery. So so Genosha had basically taken all the mutants that were Genoshian and kind of like given them this technique of like wiping their memory and just turning them into agents of the state. And so then these sort of drone type people that are mutants could use their mutant abilities to build things and do security and et cetera, et cetera. And so he had a son who was dating a mutant and he was going to run his little mind wipe on the um, girlfriend of his son. And they contacted, I think, the New Mutants, if I recall, or maybe it was X-Force. And in any event, the the heroic mutants helped the girl and the, the boyfriend escape. And then the Genosians were like, you're taking our state property, blah, blah, blah. And all of this led to them bringing the girl back and mind wiping her and then having this like ongoing conflict with all of the X titles in the Genosha place. And this spun up to an event which was called, um, I think it was Extinction Agenda. So there was the, the mutant Genosha conflict, and then there was a secondary conflict between the mutants and the right, and you might recognize the name Cameron Hodge. So Cameron Hodge was like an anti-mutant advocate in the United States. And the right is where Nanny came from. And, yeah, exactly. And so they, the mutants end up defeating Cameron Hodge and like cutting off his head, but then Cameron Hodge makes a deal with some demon to get like eternal life. So then he's just ahead, and then the Genosians get the head and build like a robot suit for him. So then he's like this ugly robot thing. And the president of Genosha is then getting kind of advice from two advisors. One, the gene engineer, who is like, let's enslave the mutants, but like have mutants, right, to enslave and utilize their abilities. And then also Cameron Hodge, who's like, wipe out all mutants worldwide. So there's kind of a internal conflict between the gene engineer and Cameron Hodge as to like who's going to steer use them versus kill them. Yes, exactly. Neither all that happy friendly, but yes. different different visions. In in the extinction agenda, the the mutants come and or basically the Genosians because they feel like their sovereignty has been violated. They go to like the X mansion and kidnap some new mutants, and then they're going to put them on TV as like mind wiping them and being like, "This is what happens if you you know violate our sovereignty." And you can imagine that that leads to the X-Men trying to go rescue them and then a you know multi-book conflict. So that was what was going on. And at some point, the Gene Engineer just gets his neck snapped because he tries to stop the cyborg Cameron Hodge and that doesn't go very well for him. Apparently, his first appearance was in Uncanny X-Men 236 in October of 88. And his death was in New Mutants number 97 in November of 1990. So he was only around for two years of publication time. And he was always in those comics. He was very much a, like just a secondary character, not like a in your face. Mm-hmm. Not, you not know, one villain. of the dads. Yeah. But you're supposed to not like him because like, how could he turn his son's girlfriend into a drone? Right. Okay. So this is not the gene engineer himself. We learn in this issue that the gene engineer had lots of clones of himself down in the uh, dungeons below his lab. And one of them was able to kind of escape. And that is our man with the peacock tattoo. And we learned that Tattoo Man's real goal is to use mutant samples and the Krakoan egg to do what he says his father never quite could. Take all those many chaotic powers and abilities of mutants and give them all to, quote, one perfect specimen, also known as an Omega Man, unrelated to the Omega Men series by Tom King, one presumes. Now, 
really that's a lot like what Dr. Barrington is doing over in Sabretooth, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Giving multiple powers and that. I laughed about that. I was like, he seems to be having a lot <laughs> more difficulty with this than Dr. Barrington does, and he could have solved his problems by just calling yeah, again, her up. You'd think if this was really happening in the same world, they'd be kind of working together, because Zeno, how how closely are Zeno and Orcus related? Are they completely separate bad groups? or Yes, they're separate. Maybe, yep. maybe that's it. They're, they're rivals, so they're not going to not going to team up. Yeah. Well, at the end of this book, two things happen. Number one, Max, the psychic boy, freaks out and runs away because he doesn't think that tattoo man's going to keep being nice to him after the experiment ends, which, smart boy. Yeah. And two, a combo mutant Omega Man hatches out of the Trojan egg. Now, I'm not sure if this is on purpose or not because other places it says that tattoo man wants to keep using the egg to somehow make lots and lots of individual mutants. But this also feels like this is the culmination of what he wanted to make all along. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. Unclear. But it does look like a combination of almost everyone in X Force, right? We see yes. bits that look like Beast, Wolverine, Colossus, Domino, even Omega Red Tentacles. I don't see anything that cries out being from Sage or from Deadpool. Maybe he doesn't have pieces of them. Uh, who do you think those spikes out of his knee come from? I think that might be. Uh, oh man, frenzy maybe? I don't know. I don't know because it looks like what's happening to Kurt over in the other book, but I think that's just a coincidence. I mean, it could be any random mutant. Also, I've, I've seen people question, hey, why do the claws here look like they're covered in adamantium? Because that's not a mutant oh, thing. Yeah. And it, it wasn't brought back using one of these reality warpers. So Correct. I've, I've got a no prize attempt for this. Ready? I mean, this, this lazy... This is a lazy character design from my perspective, but g- give me your explanation. My, my, my explanation, I'm kind of proud of for why the claws aren't bone claws, they're metal claws, is that that's using a colossus power to turn mm. organic things into metal. Nice. That's my guess there. But yeah, it's a very, it's something does, that we all would have come up with in middle school, right? Just yes. take all the bits and just squish them all together. How does having a shoulder and half of your face look like Beast give you ultimate power? That's one of the things where I'm just like, this This does not look like much to me, other than just to like try to symbolize like, oh, he's got some beast power in him. Right. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's a, a kind of a, a juvenile idea, I think. It's, it's not all that thought out. It's supposed to be this culmination of all this stuff and we get this big reveal. And yet, overall, I did not think this was that great a book. I thought the scenes inside the lab looked really cool. We saw the little bubbling tanks of horrific mutant bits. That looked great. Uh, I thought that was much more impressive than this, you know, Omega Man monster at the end. I did like the humor in the book, the little uh, Deadpool-y stuff at the beginning. The Domino memory collage pages were fine. But overall, just too much comedian stuff happens. The big reveal didn't really move me. Gene Janeer is just a dumb name. Just saying it out loud, Gene Janeer, it, it's, it's, it's a dumb name. It just is. And the whole Beast plot line, remember the Beast plot line? Where he did horrific yeah. war crimes and, and crimes against humanity and against mutantdom. And we don't talk about that anymore. I guess that's going to happen in other books. So, yeah. And they gave him the, the cold shoulder last issue. That For was a enough. whole issue. That was yeah. enough punishment. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'm going to give this a six out of 10 and, and hope it gets better. I, uh, yeah. I think I say this after every Ben Percy book. I'm ready for him to go do something else. But I'm on Deadpool. He, he seems good at the jokes. Yeah, I, again, else. I like Deadpool, Deadpool in, sh- in small doses. I don't know that we need a whole Ben Percy Deadpool, but it would be better than what we're getting now. Uh, anything else you want to add about X-Force number 37? 
No, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm more like a six, eight. I was okay with this issue, but it also feels not, you know, almost inconsequential, right? And it sort of seems to be consistent with how the X offices are set up. He doesn't seem to be part of the core crew writing the big Greco era stories. He's just kind of over here doing his little thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's been doing his thing for a good long time, longer than all the other writers still writing X stuff, but. He doesn't. It doesn't feel like this is a central story, which X Force should be a bigger deal, I would think. I hope maybe it's better than that, but I I just imagine he's gonna be writing these stories, and then at one point they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Kirko is no longer a thing," and he's like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> like he's not even invited to that decision or or the planning parties. Now he's making me feel or bad for Percy. Percy. Okay, so those were our issues this week. Uh, next week we have two number ones headed our way. Uh, the one I'm more excited about is Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants number one of three. And that will be our first of these main body of books in the Sins of Sinister event. And this will be at the 10 years in the future time period. And I guess we'll see what's, what Storm's up to. How she escaped from Mars how she's planning on getting revenge on Sinister. I'm more excited about that. This week was okay. It wasn't like a bad week, but um, I didn't realize how much I really wanted just to continue with the Sins of Sinister storyline. And this really felt weird going back to these inessential plots. It feels like we're going backwards, which, oh well. So that is the big book next week, I think. It's going to be Storm, Brother of Mutants. The other book is Bishop War College, number one of five. And this is a book we heard a little bit about when it was announced. And I forgot it was even coming until I, you know, checked Comixology for the coming attraction and saw it. And it is about Bishop, who is the new Captain Commander. Not all that new, but when Cyclops resigned to become an X-Man, reformed the X-Men team, Bishop took over. And I guess he's going to be training up some new people in the ways of how to defend Krakoa. There's also in the preview, in the solicit, they teased a bit about it being an all-black team which the listed characters aren't all black, but the cover we see shows a bunch of X-Men characters, but redrawn to make them look like they're black. So whether that is just Marvel trying to get some free publicity or whether it's actually going to be part of the, the point of the book, I don't know. I guess we'll find out next week. And yeah, after we'll definitely talk about number one. After that, Ruben and I and anyone who wants to send in some mail can contribute and figure out, is it going to be worth continuing that? book going forward. It's a miniseries. Will it matter? Will it be good? Who knows? We will find out next week. I like Bishop, so there's a possibility that we continue with it, unless it's just very badly written. Yeah, let's let's keep hope alive. Okay, so Ruben, what do we say at the end of each and every episode of The Weird Dose of X? Yeah, go read more X-Men comics, and if you want to learn more about uh, good old Gene Janeer, I'd say Extinction Agenda is an okay uh, story to go back and read. It's maybe 10 to 12 issues. Oh, and okay. as a kid, so it scared the crap out of me. It was a big thing. But uh, when I read it recently, I was like, oh, this is interesting and not at all scary. <laughs> okay. All you Gene Janeer fans, go read some more X-Men comics. Bye-bye.